The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. It's the second day of our spring seven day session, 3rd of um, September 2018. And um, today we're going to read and comment on uh, Basui's talk on One Mind. Uh, this is um, in the uh, Three Pillars of Zen. And um, it's, it was translated by um, uh, Roshi Philip Kaplow in close collaboration with um, Cohen Yamada Roshi, the teacher, main teacher of Aiken Roshi. Um, it um, comes out of, of, of Basui's um, question, this question of um, who or what is hearing seeing, walking, tasting, and so forth. But it's really, they're invaluable, invaluable instructions for working on, on any koan. Just um, a couple of comments by um, Philip Kaplow before we get into the into our text. He says about um, this talk um, and the letters also that he, he um, translated here. There is little in Zen literature written by outstanding masters which is so squarely aimed at practice or is as, insp as inspiring as these, as these writings. Basui speaks as directly to the reader of today as he did to his correspondence of the 14th century, guiding and inspiring at every turn. Added to this is a pungent sense of paradox, coupled with a profound simplicity, which has made the Dharma talk and these letters immensely popular in Japan right down to the present day. Takusui Genji, a well-known Zen master of the Tokugawa period, who, like Joshu, is said to have lived to the ripe age of 120, warmly praised both these writings as valuable not only for devotees, but even for Zen masters. It is has hoped that with this translation, translation the first into English, they will find equal favour with English-speaking readers eager to understand and practice Zen. This talk and the letters that follow um, 
made a, a very big impression on me when I first read the the three pillars of Zen and um, I've come back to them again and again both both when I was in training and um, since I started teaching and they they, they um, sort of you can keep mining them uh, repeatedly so let's just now dive into the talk If you would free yourself of the sufferings of samsara, you must learn the direct way to become a Buddha. This way is no other than the realization of your own mind. He, he talks about freeing ourselves from the sufferings of samsara. Now literally samsara means journeying. And it's in it is implied a sense of, of, of restlessness or instability, dukkha, suffering. Being caught up in all the ups and downs of our lives and tossed about by them. Another way we could understand samsara is living unconsciously. or semi-consciously. It's also um, often associated with this idea of, of circling, of, of, kind of lots of movement, perhaps, and um, activity in our lives, but uh, no evolution. making the same mistakes that our parents made. Another way of thinking about it. If you would free yourself from the sufferings of samsara, you must learn the direct way to become a Buddha. The direct way. When, when Basui uh, passed away, he sat up in Zazen and uh, said, look directly. This way is no other than the realization of your own mind. The realization of what is most intimate to us. This is one of the reasons why it's difficult because of this intimacy. We're so close to it, more than close, that we don't see it. There's a Zen saying, the eye cannot see itself. Now what is this mind? 
It is the true nature of all sentient beings. That which existed before our parents were born and hence before our own birth, and which presently exists, unchangeable and eternal. So it is called one's face before one's parents were born. This mind is intrinsically pure. When we are born, it is not newly created, and when we die, it does not perish. It has no distinction of male or female, nor has it any coloration of good or bad. It cannot be compared with anything, so it is called Buddha nature. Yet countless thoughts issue from this self-nature as waves arise in the ocean or as images are reflected in a mirror. As images are reflected in the mirror. Just a moment ago a tui sang and that sound was reflected in each of our minds. Where did that sound go? It arose like a wave on the surface of the ocean and then disappeared. To realize your own mind, you must first of all look into the source from which thoughts flow. Sleeping and working, standing and sitting, profoundly ask yourself, what is my own mind? With an intense yearning to resolve this question. This is called training or practice or desire for truth or thirst for realization. What is termed Zazen is no more than looking into one's own mind. And this applies to all forms of Zazen. Not just koan work, but um, following the breath. Shikantaza. It is better to search your own mind for your own mind devotedly than to read and recite innumerable sutras and dharani every day for countless years. Such endeavors, which are but formalities, produce some merit, but this merit expires, and again you must practice, you must experience the suffering of the three evil paths. Um, the three evil paths are um, the, th the three um, realms of existence in which one um, particularly suffers. So hell, 
we mentioned maybe this these yesterday hell hungry ghosts and animals um, the hell realm being the lowest and characterized by fear and hatred then the hungry ghosts realm and we can we can understand these as, as being in our realm of course as a realm of 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 craving and addictions And then the animal realm, uh, marked by, uh, by ignorance and um, instinctual urges. Just the, the struggle to survive, to eat or be eaten. Basri says, it is better to search your own mind devotedly than to read and recite innumerable sutras and dharanis every day for countless years. In order to search our mind devotedly, um, the mind must be unified to some degree. And actually, um, reciting sutras... Um, or dharani or mantras uh, is an effective way of unifying the mind just as um, breath practices but um, that's just the, the laying the the groundwork um, there has to be also this this um, looking into the mind Because searching one's own mind leads ultimately to enlightenment, this practice is a prerequisite to becoming a Buddha. No matter whether you have committed either the ten evil deeds or the five deadly sins, if you turn back your mind and enlighten yourself, you are a Buddha instantly. Um, The ten evil deeds and the five deadly sins. Um, the ten evil deeds are um, very, um, they almost map onto um, our ten uh, precepts, breaking the ten precepts, but uh, slightly different. Uh, ten evil deeds are, are killing, stealing, committing adultery, lying, using immoral language, gossiping, slandering, coveting, giving vent to anger, uh, holding wrong and holding wrong views. And the, the five deadly sins are killing one's father, killing one's mother, killing an arhat, shedding the blood of a Buddha, or destroying the harmony of the Buddha's Sangha. So they're considered to be the, the most um, pain-producing uh, actions. Basri is saying something quite um, startling here. 
that uh, doesn't matter whether we've committed these um, ten evil deeds or five deadly sins. If you turn back your mind and enlighten yourself, you are a Buddha instantly. There's um, there's a, a, sta a famous story in the Pali Sutras that um, is, illustrates this this teaching. Um, it's a story of uh, Angulimala, who was a um, was a serial killer. He was. Um, His his um, his teacher, in another tradition, was um, demanded that he he um, uh, collect for him um, uh, the the, fing the fingers of a thousand victims, and um, he wore he wore the finger of his of his victims round his neck, in a grisly kind of uh, necklace. And he got as far as uh, having collected, um, so the story goes, 999 fingers of the, of the thousand that his warped uh, teacher wanted from him and um, was, was going to have the, the thousandth finger be that of the Buddha. But um, in, a, in his encounter with the Buddha, his mind was completely changed and um, he experienced enlightenment under the under the teaching of the Buddha but then there's this other side to the story of, of Angulimala yes this could happen it could be this this just this deep turnaround in his mind. But then following this experience, he um, was uh, repeatedly attacked and beaten up because of what he had done in the past. And uh, it was part of his, his um, expiating of this, these, deeds that he he just accepted this so this is the other side it wasn't like his his um, awakening uh, wiped out um, the effects of his of his actions he still had to experience those but he experienced them now from the point of view where he completely um, accepted them. Basu goes on to say, um, <coughs> but do not commit sins and expect to be saved by enlightenment. For neither enlightenment nor a Buddha nor a Bodhisattva can save a person who, lost in delusion, goes down evil ways. So the key point is uh, whether we just remain lost in delusion or whether we 
see our misdeeds. And also what's implied here um, is that um, we have to be clear that, that Buddhas are not uh, supernatural be beings who can um, come in and kind of magically change our karma um, or prevent us from falling into uh, hell by conferring some enlightenment on us, but rather that awakening is possible only through our own efforts and our own um, insight. Imagine a child sleeping next to its parents and dreaming it is being beaten or is painfully sick. The parents cannot help the child, no matter how much it suffers, for no one can enter the dreaming mind of another. If the child could awaken itself, it could be freed of this suffering automatically. In the same way, one who realizes that one's own mind is Buddha is instantly free from the sufferings arising from the ignorance of the law of ceaseless change of birth and death. If Buddhas could prevent it, would they allow even one sentient being to fall into hell? Without self-realization, one cannot, cannot understand things as such as these. So this is um, going, going along on the same theme. We have to wake up. No one can, no one can do this for us. We have to wake up from the dream, the nightmare of suffering, of separation. This, this deeply ingrained conviction that we have, both consciously and, and, and unconsciously, that we are separate from the world from other people. What kind of master is it that this very moment sees colors with the eyes and hears voices with the ears? that now raises the hands and moves the feet. We know these are functions of our own mind, but no one knows precisely how they are performed. It may be asserted that, that behind these actions there is no entity, yet it is obvious they are being performed spontaneously. Conversely, it may be maintained that these are the acts of some entity, Still, the entity is invisible. If one regards this question as unfathomable, all attempts to reason out an answer will cease, and one will be at a loss to know what to do. 
in this propitious state deepen and deepen the yearning tirelessly to the extreme when the profound questioning penetrates to the very bottom and that bottom is broken open not the slightest doubt will remain in your mind not the slightest doubt will remain that your mind is itself buddha the void universe there will then be no anxiety about life or death no truth to search for Just a couple of points from this paragraph If one regards this question as unfathomable, all attempts to reason out an answer will cease, and one will be at a loss to know what to do. Coming, coming to this being at a loss is an essential part of the process. Um, in, in koan work, we have to... Um, pour a great deal of energy into the question and and bring it bring it to a head like like the cri crisis of a fever almost a crisis in which we are truly at a loss to know what to do this 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 crisis is um, a profound sense of, of not knowing. But we can't just manufacture that. We, we have to go through the process of, of recognizing that all our, our explanations, all our intellectual understanding, um, all that we've read, um, all of that is is useless. It has to be abandoned. It's a very uncomfortable place. Elsewhere in the in the three pillars, um, uh, Yasutani talks a little bit about this in his. Um, in the, the uh, section where he's um, teaching students in Doksan. He says, uh, Your purpose in doing Zazen is to experience Kensho. Kensho and Joriki, which is the Japanese name for the power growing out of Zazen, while closely related, are nevertheless two different things. There are those who do Zazen for years with strong juriki, yet never awaken. Why not? Because in their deepest unconscious, they can't disabuse themselves of the idea that the world is external to them, that they are a sovereign individuality, independent of and opposed to by other individualities. To renounce such conceptions is to stand in darkness. Now Satori comes out of this darkness, not out of the light of reason and worldly knowledge. In the intense asking, what is Mu? You bring the reasoning mind to an impasse, void of every thought, even as you gradually destroy the tenacious roots of I and not I in the unconscious mind. 
This dynamic of self-inquiry is the quickest way to self-realization. The same, um, it's not the only way though, we should be clear about this, the same emptying out can happen um, with uh, breath and also with shikantaza. It has to be, uh, the, the key thing is um, emptying out the mind. Vasu says that um, when this this questioning uh, really permeates us completely, um, then in the, the it's like the bottom of the mind is broken open, like a like a the bottom of a, a bucket dropping out. And then he says, not the slightest doubt will remain that your mind is itself Buddha, the void universe. There will be no anxiety about life or death, no truth to search for. He's talking here about pr profound, thoroughgoing awakening experience. Mostly, we, we, our experiences are not as deep and thoroughgoing as this. He says there will be no anxiety about life or death, no truth to search for. If we, if we have an experience, we have some insight into, into our oneness with the, the void universe, but there is still anxiety, whether it be about our life or about our death, then that's a sure sign that we still have work to do. We, that, um, it's very important to keep going, to keep that search for truth going, if there is still anxiety in our minds. In a dream you may stray and lose your way home, you ask someone to show you how to return, or you pray to God or Buddhas to help you, but still you can't get a home. Once you rouse yourself from your dream state, however, you find that you're in your own bed and realize that the only way you could have got home was to awaken yourself. This kind of spiritual awakening is called return to the origin, or rebirth in paradise. It is the kind of inner realization that can be achieved with some training. Virtually all who like Zazen and make an effort in practice, be they lay people or monks, can experience to this degree. But even such partial awakening cannot be attained except through the practice of Zazen. <clears throat> you would be making a serious error, however, 
were you to assume that this was true enlightenment. So he's here talking about these lesser glimpses of our true home. You would be making a serious error, however, were you to assume that this was true enlightenment in which there is no doubt about the nature of reality. You would be like one who, having found copper, gives up the desire for gold. The great masters, such as Basui, they are great masters because they didn't settle for shallow understanding. They, they kept going deeper. Upon such realization, question yourself even more intensely in this way. In next part is in quotes. My body is like a phantom, like bubbles on a stream. My mind, looking into itself, is as formless as empty space. Yet somewhere within, sounds are perceived. Who is hearing? Should you question yourself in this way with profound absorption, never slackening the intensity of your effort, your rational mind eventually will exhaust itself and only questioning at the deepest level will remain. Finally, you will lose awareness of your own body. Your long-held conceptions and notions will perish. After absolute questioning, in the way that every drop of water vanishes, from a tub broken open at the bottom, and perfect enlightenment will follow like flowers suddenly blooming on withered trees. When this image is used in, in Zen texts of, of flowers suddenly blooming on withered trees, There's a, a plum tree near the, near the kitchen, which is, is in full blossom right now. But just, just a few weeks ago, its branches would have been completely bare, completely barren. And, and, and out of that barrenness, came pure white blossoms. There's the bare branches are uh, an image for this, this uh, crisis we have to reach, this crisis of being at a loss, of not knowing. There's a, there's a poem um, Without the cold that bites into the bones how can the plum blossoms regale you with their piercing, piercing fragrance? 
we have to be willing to experience that that the depths of winter in order to be regaled by the plum blossoms With such realization, you achieve true emancipation. But even now, repeatedly cast off what has been realized, turning back to the subject that realizes, that is, to the root bottom, and resolutely go on. Your self-nature will then grow brighter and more, tra more transparent as your delusive feelings perish, like a gem gaining luster under repeated polishing until at last it positively illumines the entire universe. Don't doubt this. Should your yearning be too weak to lead you to this state in your present lifetime, you will undoubtedly gain self-realization easily in the next, provided you are still engaged in this questioning at death, just as yesterday's work half done was finished easily today. We can we can often f feel like um, we're um, a very 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 long way from um, these states of mind that Basui is describing. I think it can help to put it into this bigger perspective that. The work that we're doing isn't just the work of one lifetime. We're, we're working with, with conditioning that is, um, is very deep, often very unconscious. But we create a momentum through our practice. We can't know when the, the bear plum branch is going to blossom but we can just keep practicing and um, that momentum can continue from this from this life into future lives In Zazen, neither despise nor cherish the thoughts that arise. Only search your own mind, the very source of these thoughts. You must understand that anything appearing in your consciousness or seen by your eyes is an illusion of no enduring reality. 
Hence you should neither fear nor be fascinated by such phenomena. If you keep your mind as empty as space, unstained by extraneous matters, no evil spirits can disturb you, even on your deathbed. This is a very important point that he's making here, and one that we need to hear again and again. He says, In Zazen, neither despise nor cherish the thoughts that arise. Only search your own mind the very source of these thoughts. It's so easy for us to get uh, caught up in the content of our thoughts and lose sight uh, that the thoughts are just thoughts. Where's the referent to the thought? Is there one? And more than that, we lose sight of the mind in which the thoughts are arising. So our practice is, is this stepping back and um, seeing the big picture. The thoughts as thoughts arising in the mind, not as solid things. And if we can remember this, that, that what arises in the mind is an appearance. It doesn't have any enduring reality. It rises, has a certain um, life, and then disappears, like the waves on the surface of the ocean. If we can, can uh, remember this, then um, we won't be disturbed or caught up in our thoughts. We see the, 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 the bigger picture of the, of the thoughts as thoughts in the mind. Hence, you should neither fear nor be fascinated by such phenomena. As we get more concentrated, uh, we may experience all kinds of, of makyo. Seductive makyo, frightening makyo. Um, judging makyo. We don't need to get fascinated or, or fear any of the stuff that arises. Just see it clearly. Recognize it for what it is.
He says, if you keep your mind as empty as space, unstained by extraneous matters, no, no evil spirits can disturb you even on your deathbed, even when you're at your most vulnerable, you could say. This, um, this description here could, could also be um, equally a, a, um, seen as the kind of the essence of, of, of shikantaza. Keep your mind as empty as space. The the this word shikantaza uh, means uh, just sitting. So to just be clearly aware of ourselves sitting, our posture, the sensations of the body of sitting on our cushion, on our mat. Nothing else, just allowing the mind to become silently as we experience these sensations, to become clear. In the affirming faith in mind, it starts the great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. This is also a pretty good description of, of uh, the practice of shikantaza. Not picking and choosing. Not getting caught in our preferences, our, our discriminating mind everything everything we experience comes to us in really in in one of three flavors we either experience things as being pleasant or unpleasant or neutral and that's that's just how we experience things But we add on to that. We add on, our, if it's something pleasant, then we like it. And that gives rise to attachment. If something's unpleasant, we dislike it. And that gives rise to aversion. Or if something's neutral, then we just uh, ignore it. And so that gives rise to indifference. So out of these three, these three feeling tones that our experience uh, comes with, we, the three poisons arise. Picking and choosing. And out of these comes all our suffering and everybody else's suffering. So the different practices, whether it's shikantaza or the breath or a koan, they're really all ways to, to begin to interrupt that, that process and um, get a, have some clarity around it, see what's going on.
get out of our, our deep habits of picking and choosing and instead just look. Just question. Bosui says, you must only become the question, what is this mind? Or what is it that hears these sounds? When you realize this mind, you will know that it is the very source of all Buddhas and sentient beings. The Bodhisattva Kanon is so called because he attained enlightenment by perceiving the sounds of the world about him. This is um, yeah, this is the account of, of his great awakening in the other in the um, Shurangama Sutra. At work, at rest, never stop trying to realize who it is that hears. Even though your questioning penetrates the unconscious, you won't find the one who hears, and all your efforts will come to naught. Yet sounds can be heard. So question yourself to an even profounder level. At last, every vestige of self-awareness will disappear and you will feel like a cloudless sky. Within yourself, you will find no I, nor will you discover anyone who hears. This mind is like the void, yet it hasn't a single spot that can be called empty. Do not mistake the state for self-realization, but continue to ask yourself even more intensely, now who is it that hears? If you bore and bore into this question, oblivious to anything else, even this feeling of voidness will vanish and you won't be aware of anything. Total darkness will prevail. Don't stop here, but keep asking with all your strength, what is it that hears? Only when you have completely exhausted the questioning will the question burst. Now you will feel like someone who has come back from the dead. This is true realization. This is the blossoming of the flowers on the bare branch. You will see the Buddhas of all the universes face to face and the Dharma ancestors past and present. Test yourself with this koan. A monk asked Joshu, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming to China? Joshu replied, the oak tree in the garden. Should this koan leave you with the slightest doubt, you need to resume questioning, what is it that hears? Or, what is Mu? If you don't come to realization in this present life, when will you? Once you have died, you won't be able to avoid a long period of suffering in the three evil paths. What is obstructing realization? Nothing but your own half-hearted desire for the truth. Think of this and exert yourself to the utmost. Here, Basui just has been saying that um, the momentum of our practice in this life will continue into, into future lives. And now he's saying, well, if you don't come to realization in this pre present life, when will you? And this is the other side of the coin, is we don't know what the future holds, but we are practicing right now. And this is actually the only life in which we can come to realization. 
There is only this present life. So if we're not going to awaken now, if we're not going to save ourselves now because nobody else can do it for us, when are we going to do it? Who is going to do it? Nobody's going to do it except us. What is obstructing realization? Nothing but your own half-hearted desire for truth. Think of this and exert yourself to the utmost. <coughs> we'll stop here and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service, or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.